Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. On this episode of Jaws of Justice, host Latara Smith-Carnes of KC Freedom Project talks first with directors of the support group called What About Us? This is a support group for wives and significant others of exonerees. Then Latara will speak with Obi Anthony, founder and executive director of Exonerated Nation. They will speak on the subject of therapy and explain what Exonerated Nation has to offer about therapeutic services for exonerees. California incarcerated O.B. Anthony 17 years ago for a murder he did not commit. After his exoneration in 2011, O.B. had to learn how to build a new life outside of prison. He struggled with employment, PTSD, and reestablishing relationships with his family. In 2015, he founded Exonerated Nation to help make sure other exonerees didn't have to face these challenges alone. Exonerated Nation is a nonprofit based in Oakland, California, and they serve California exonerees. They intend to expand services to reach exonerees across the nation. This excellent program comes to our listeners during our pledge drive. Generous champion Kathy Peters will match the first $100 received during Jaws of Justice. If you call now, any donation of any amount will be doubled if we can achieve calls of pledges that total $100. That's the challenge. The more calls of support we receive, the greater our odds of meeting this challenge. We're asking you to support us as we strive to bring you independent ideas about social justice issues. Remember, KKFI is listener supported. If you like what you hear, show us by calling 888-931-0901. That's 888-931-0901. Or you can go online at kkfi.org, or you can go to KKFI 90.1 FM on Facebook, where there is a Facebook fundraiser. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning. On Jaws of Justice this morning, I've got Latara Smith-Carnes of KC Freedom Project, and she's a member of a group, What About Us, a support group for the wives and significant others of exonerees. Good morning, Latara. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing to be here. Well, in our show description, we talked about you were going to have two uh, two other members of What About Us. And can you tell our listeners who those women are and what has happened to our interview with them? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, well, actually, they're not just members. They are the founders of the support group What About Us, and that is uh, Mrs. Uh, Sandra Wilson and Attorney Roe Ro- F's Ward, and they are actually the founders of this wonderful support group. And they're not just founders, but they're also wives of exonerees. When did they begin What About Us, the support group? You know, What About Us, according to information that I have, was founded, or it's it's actually been a registered nonprofit since August of 2022. 
and the uh, support group was established in Chesterfield, Michigan. Um, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Wilson actually um, is the, one of the directors, but she's out of Chicago, Illinois, and then Attorney Ward um, is out of Michigan. So that 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 is the place of origin for this awesome support group. And then when did you join Latara? You know what, I joined the support group here just a few months ago. Um, I was blessed to meet these wonderful ladies. I actually met a wonderful lady named Teresa Vaughn, who is the significant other of an exoneree. And she connected me to the support group and it has just been a blessing. They have been a wonderful source of support for me, um, you know, from the encouraging words to, you know, uh, connecting me with resources and things as such. That was very beneficial for me. So it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. And, um, you know, that's why I wanted to come on here and do the show. And unfortunately, due to some scheduling conflicts, Miss um, uh, Wilson is not feeling well and uh, Attorney Ward is doing some last minute work. Um, they were not able to join me tonight. But, you know, prayerfully here in the near future, we can have them on because I want their voice to be heard when we talk about this support group and the wonderful things that they have set up to do to assist loved ones, you know, uh, uh, significant others and wives of exonerees, because that's that's a, that's a calling. <laughs> that's most definitely a calling to be a wife and a significant other of an exoneree, so. Well, now then, when you meet at, with everyone at such a great distance, what medium do you use to meet? Do you use the telephone? Do you conference call? No, we do um, sometimes weekly. We try to do a weekly meeting via Zoom. Um, if not weekly, we for sure meet, um, you know, uh, bi-weekly and, and have our support group meetings. And, um, you know, just recently we've spoke about, um, you know, getting together and maybe doing some, some traveling together, uh, doing like some retreats, some retreats for the significant others and wives of exonerees where the organization will bring in therapists and things as such, you know, to, um, to, to, to meet with us because, you know, um, being married or being a significant other of an exoneree, as you heard me just say, is most definitely a calling. It's, it's very challenging because of the trauma that the exoneree, you know, deals with you know, as a result of their wrongful conviction. Um, it's, it's a situation where, you know, the wives and the significant others who are receiving the exoneree's home, um, they need therapy just as well as the exoneree needs therapy because there's a lot of trauma there. It's a lot of trauma. A lot of the exonerees may not want to admit that, but it is a lot of trauma. So just as there's a need for the exonerees to to receive therapy when they come out, it is also a need for the significant others and the wives to receive therapy so that they can understand the exoneree, the position exoneree is in, the process, the transition, everything that that exoneree is dealing with. You know, therapy for those who receive them home as a significant other wife most definitely needs it so that they can not just understand but also be able to cope and keep their own selves mentally strong and vibrant in the process of being there in support of the exoneree. Yeah, thank you for that. So let's talk about some of those stressors. Now, 
later in the show you can you'll talk to someone who has been wrongfully incarcerated and whose case was exonerated which means that the state had to say okay this person is not guilty of this crime for which they were convicted so they're innocent people and you'll talk later in our hour about the stresses on the exoneree but now then what can you share with us can you give some detail in what wives and family members of exonerated people every relationship has stress isn't that true latara oh of course of course it does so then what can you say about in particular when you add the fact that they have been wrongfully incarcerated just exactly are they drifting do they lack direction um are they angry are they bitter i can't speak for all exonerees i can say in my marital relationship because everyone knows at one point i was married to keith carnes and keith carnes and i are now actually divorced and i can honestly say that uh looking at the issues and the problems that came about in our marriage um you know i can't pinpoint them all on keith i can't sit here and say that but i can say that i know that keith as an exoneree dealt with a lot of trauma um i i do know that as a result and i and this is not just speaking for keith because i do talk to some other exonerees who are my friends and and just the fact that they had um you know they, they're not very trusting some of them are not very trusting some of them are are really paranoid um and, and you can't blame them because they were wrongly convicted as a result of someone being dishonest so of course they're not going to be very trusting in some areas you know a lot of them because they have done so much time and i don't think people really understand how inmates are treated in prison but they are talked to very badly they're talked down to um you know they're disrespected you know i mean and 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 that weighs on an individual so a lot of times um you know and, and i'm just very transparent a lot of times what happens is because they were in such a control restricted environment for so long in a structured you know kind of a structured environment um it it, it becomes their mindset that you know their wives or significant others are trying to control them when that's really not the case we're really kind of looking out for their betterment and trying to help them process along in this thing called life okay um so it's it's an issue of uh, you know authority or 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 feeling as if they're controlled you know i know um keith and i who are, you know we're very amicable you know in our divorce uh, but for Keith, he, you know, he explained it to me that commitment in a marriage for him felt like confinement, you know, and um, that was really deep when he said that to me. And I had to take that to the Lord in prayer and say, you know, God, help me process this because how is it? And then that's when the Lord broke it down for me and showed me that because they've been in such a controlled environment and because they've been talked to and disrespected and talked down to that you know the least bit 
of, of anything, you know, that 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 where they feel that that control is being taken from them. Their guards go up. They don't like it. I've been told by King, you know, bless his heart so many times, you know, um, stop talking to me like you're a warden, you know, or talking to me like you're my mom. And I would be nowhere in the vicinity of discussing or talking to him that way. But the mindset is someone's trying to control me again. Someone's trying to control me. So it's 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 a difficult process. And I was able to meet several wives um, at the Innocence Conference in Arizona and, you know, sitting down and talking with the wives as we met each other and shared stories. You know, it was to our, to our surprise that all of us was dealing with the same situation. Now, I want to say this. This is my opinion that I'm, I'm sharing on the radio. This is not the opinion of the support group. I want to make that clear. Uh, uh, of what about us? This is not their opinion. This is me, Latara Smith-Carnes, who has lived out an 11-month marriage with an exoneree. You know, um, Keith is a wonderful person. I will never take that from Keith. He is a great person. He's a wonderful person. I still love him dearly, and I know he loves me dearly. But there is trauma that Keith experienced in this wrongful conviction. And, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, the trauma... It's, it, it just made it, it made the marriage very, very difficult. I can't say that. Well, certainly you're talking to a feminist. And so support groups came out of the women's liberation movement where people who had a common problem with society discrimination would sit and talk and vent their feelings and share, as you referenced in the beginning, resources ideas on how to approach the problems and just give each other uh, a shoulder, just give each other support, just as the, the expression is. Now, what exactly is the mission of What About Us? Can you share that well, with what, us? Sure. What About Us? Of course, they're a nonprofit organization and their goal is to exist to assist, I'm sorry, exoneree spouses and support partners through community support groups and wraparound services. That is their goal. That's the main function of the support group. So once again, I want to, to say clearly for the listeners to hear what I just shared with you, that was my personal situation with Keith Carnes. It has no, nothing to do or reflect on the support group. But I wanna say this while it's on my mind, okay? Um, and, and when, you know, when myself, Keith Carnes and some other exonerees went before the state to speak about the legislators, about the compensation, okay, um, that we were pushing for, for Missouri exonerees, you know, one thing that was spoke about several times is the need for therapy, the need for therapy when those exonerees are coming straight out of prison, they need to go right into therapy. And I just want to say shame on the organizations who are collecting funds, accessing grants and misleading their donors who are donating millions of dollars to their organization that they are providing therapy services for these exonerees when they're coming out. Because I can tell you uh, that Keith Carnes, Keith was never, never offered the opportunity for therapy through I'll just say through the organization who assisted him. And I think that is very misleading 
you know, to to the donors and to anyone when you're when you're telling these people that we provide these therapy services and they didn't. You know, Keith Carnes was not able to get therapy for months, for months. He was put on a wait list at one place and at another place he was able to get it. But we're, we're talking, you know, 11 months into the into being released when he needed to access therapy immediately. You know, all of them do. So shame on you, organizational leaders. I hope you're listening. Shame on you for misrepresenting and misleading your donors that you're providing these services for these exonerees because you're not. You're not. And um, I think that's horrible to do. I really, really think it's horrible to do because at the end of the day, the exoneree is the one who suffers and the exoneree's families. Well, thank you for that, Latara. Now then, some of the issues that can face an exoneree are mental illness such as paranoia, which includes distrust of others, you referenced that, and just flat out depression. And so I would agree with you that people who have had those negative experiences need to be able to talk with licensed mental health therapists who can help them to understand themselves and their reactions to um, to life on the outside. So right. I want to thank you for that. Not just regular therapists, but they need to try to find therapists who deal with trauma, who specialize in trauma and PTSD, because that is what these wrongful convictions do. You know, you take anyone who's been in prison for a long amount of time, they're going to have some form of PTSD as they come out of prison. So let's think about the exoneree who's there for something they didn't do. Okay. They might do 20 years like a regular person who was good for their crime do 20, but their stress is much more because they're actually in there for something that they did not do. And that to me would make them a greater level of having PTSD. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because they're there for I something do. they didn't do. That's a whole different stressor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and me coming on here being transparent, I wanna say this, I'm not speaking of my ex-husband in a negative way. Like I said, Keith is a great person, okay? It just simply didn't work out between me and Keith. And, but he's a wonderful person. So I wanna say that I'm not dogging him out. But I have to be honest, and I have to put this out here, that exonerees, the support people of exonerees, the wives, the family members, the significant others who are re receiving these exonerees when they come home, the whole unit needs therapy. The exoneree needs therapy, the significant other needs therapy, and then they need family therapy. Because it's also hard for those exonerees when they come out, when they're reuniting with their children. You know, so they need some type of, you know, because it's not like they have a reunification plan with their family. They don't have that. They're just kind of, boom, they're released. And here they are. And now they've got to put their lives back together. And in Missouri, no compensation. And I think that has changed recently, though. But, you know, no money, no nothing. And even if you are in a state where there's compensation, you still have a downtime from the time that you're released before you can even process the paperwork and do it to get your money. So that's even a bigger stressor for them. So yes, you know, it's, uh, 
it's 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 hard, but it's it's nice to see a support group like What About Us. I just commend these ladies for starting this support group. They're wonderful, wonderful women. They understand the fight. They are married to exonerees, and I just think it's awesome for them to care that much to start a support group to help to help others. Right. Thank you, Latar. We have only a few minutes left, so. Will you tell our listeners how they can contact What About Us? Is there a way to contact the support group? Well, What About Us, they have a Facebook page, so you can locate the group on Facebook. And if you send a message through through Messenger, it'll get to uh, either one of the directors, uh, which is Attorney Ward or, um, or Sandra Wilson. Um, they can contact them that way. And I'm sure that one of them will, you know, get back with them and give them any information that they are requesting. Most definitely so. Well, I want to thank you very much. My name is Terry Wilkie. I've been talking with Latara Smith-Carnes. We're talking about the issues of being wrongfully incarcerated and, and the damages done to people and their personalities as a result of the terrible experience Latara, who are you going to talk with after our break? I will be interviewing Mr. Obi Anthony, and he is the founder of Exoneration, Exonerated Nation, and he is also an exoneree. He is an exoneree out of the state of California. Thank you very much for talking with me this morning. Thank you for having me. You all have a blessed day. KKFI 90.1 FM is a 100,000-watt beacon of free expression, mutual respect, and collaboration. Since 1988, we have stood by our philosophy of fostering a climate where diverse voices can be heard. Our commitment to diversity in programming and discourse is unwavering. We recognize that within our community, there will be differing opinions, and we celebrate that. At KKFI, we encourage a completely free and open discussion of ideas. We're committed to uplifting the voices underrepresented by mainstream media. Support our dedication to inclusivity and free speech by making a donation at kkfi.org. Together, let's continue to uplift the voices that challenge, inspire, and shape our community. KKFI 90.1 FM Kansas City Community Radio is a beacon of free expression, mutual respect, and collaboration. For over three decades, we have stood by our philosophy of fostering a climate where diverse voices can be heard. Our commitment to diversity in programming and discourse is unwavering. We recognize that within our community, there will be different opinions, and we celebrate that. At KKFI, we encourage a completely free and open discussion of ideas, never suppressing the voices that deserve to be heard. Support our dedication to inclusivity and free speech by making a donation at kkfi.org. Together, let's continue to uplift the voices that challenge, inspire, and shape our community. Juneteenth KC is excited to announce that the Heritage Festival will be returning to the 18th and Vine Historic Jazz District on Saturday, June the 17th from noon to 10 p.m. This message is a public service of KKFI. It's the 420 Drug War News. Today we close out our discussion with Mr. Timothy King of Clergy for a New Drug Policy. Um, connection to the divine, connection to other people, a sense of loving trust. These are all good things, right? This is where from the very moment that we as infants start drinking milk, in milk are small enzymes called opioid peptides that act on the opioid receptors. 
giving a sense of well-being and to help bond parent to child. And so it's very understandable that people are attracted to these sorts of things because it is one of our first experiences coming into the world is an alteration of our neurochemistry through the ingestion of milk. And I think that's why it's so attractive to us. I think that's a fundamental reality that this is part of our biological um, constitution. We evolved this way. We evolved constantly having our neurochemistry altered by the things that we ingest, the things we take in, things we think of as food are able to alter these things. So this is a very intimate and close process that we need to make sure that people understand when it can be dangerous, how it can be dangerous, and how to avoid those dangers rather than shame aiming them for having the desire to do it in the first place. Uh, okay, Obi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, hold on just a minute. We're getting Latara on the line. If you want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit and introduce yourself, that would be great. Say that again? If you'll introduce yourself and talk a little bit, and I'll get, get her on the line. All right, absolutely. Yes, hello, my name is Obi Anthony. I am the founder and director of Exonerated Nation. Also an exoneree of the state of California. I was framed and put in prison back in 1995 for a murder robbery I didn't commit. And I was subsequently sentenced to life without the possibility of parole plus 50 years. I was exonerated in 2011. Yeah, Latar, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Are you on? Yeah, he's on the line. He was just talking. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Okay, I don't know how much I've missed because I'm just being brought on the line. So did they get a chance to introduce you? Yes, I did introduce myself. Okay, great, great, great. So, Obi, I I know about your wonderful organization. And uh, like I said, I couldn't hear uh, what was said until I just came in. But for all of our listeners, um, Obi Anthony is an exoneree. I'm sure he kind of briefly told you out of California. And Obi has been such an excellent source of help, his organization for exonerees, and Obi, I just want to commend you for everything that you've done in the fight for your exoneree brothers. Thank you. I want to commend you for that, and I, I know you guys have a saying, you guys are brothers from another mother, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, yes. um, you know, I just love to hear you guys when you say that, but I just want to let you know that I appreciate you um, as my exoneree brother doing all that you do, um, not just for exonerees, but also in the innocence community, because I know that you do so many things. But, Obi, I want you to tell the people, you know, let's talk a little bit about the psychological effect and the impact uh, that a wrongful conviction has on a person. And then I want us to go into discussing, you know, the therapeutic needs and what your organization is doing and the different bills, mental health bills that you all are pursuing. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just the you know first part of your question in regards to the mental impact of being framed and put in prison. You know, I always, you know the example I've always give of that is that, you know, you know, if you have siblings and you're growing up and, you know, one of your siblings do something in the house and you got and you get in trouble for it and no one says anything, you get put on punishment. You feel some kind of way about that. And sometimes I just I break it down even more when we get accused of something and not actually punished for it, but just being accused of something we didn't do. Uh, even in relationships, when people accuse one another of doing something outside of the relationships when it's not true, you feel offended. 
And so when you get actually get punished for that, the person you something you didn't do and then you leave, it's that feeling of that happens in one's mind being framed and put in prison is that you know, you go through this place of, you know, first the why me, how all of those the the five, you know, whys, the five W's, when, where, why and how this happened to me type of thing. But then at the same time, you also have to protect yourself from the actual reality of where you are and also fight to get out. All of those things isolate your thinking into one thing and one thing only, and that's a survival mode. And that survival mode is about getting out of there, getting free, and getting home safe and alive. And you try to do those things. And then when you come home, it's like going to Europe when you're five and then coming back when you're 37. You're going to have an accent. And so when you're in that place for so long, there's a development of a, of a sort of not an attitude but of a way of being because of protection. Everything in there is straightforward. There are no places there for compromise where one can have a compromising sort of kind of thing. They, people find a grievance because they want to keep things safe and you know settle down, but ultimately that happens based on two individuals having two dominant conversations. And then when you come home, you have you know the learning opportunity there to transition from dominant conversation to a compromising conversation isn't there because there is no access to therapeutic work when one comes home. Right, right, right. And you know we were kind of touching base earlier, and you said something that just really resonated with me. You said you know that it takes some years after one is released. You gave the number of approximately yeah. about five yeah. years, yeah. you know, yeah. for, for that person or that exoneree to really be in a good adjustment because of coming out of the, what, what we call it, a, a eight by 10, six by six cell or whatever it is, because right, that's, right, that's right. where the well, And the reason why I said that, it takes anywhere between three to five years before an exonerated person can begin to even start having an idea of bearings and direction. Reason why is because for the first one to two years, it's the challenge of getting identification, somewhere to live, and a job or a job and somewhere to live. The other two years there is figuring out that process of what you just got coming out. And so now at that five-year mark, six-year, six-year mark, Either you found some work that you're settled into, and at the same time, understand that most individuals, when they come home, they still are pursuing their innocence. And so the fight with the system is still involved, and that is also there between those three to five years. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a time period that is there, in other words, that, that affects, that, 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 that couples along. So even on top of my, the 17 and a half years that I did, you add another five years to that, making it a 22 years, 23 years, where I'm still entrapped in this system. Whether it's fighting after I got all sorts of things, you know, that's that trapped in this fight. And so, you know, it, it takes some time. And then after that, being able to identify therapists that you trust and that you can go to and that you can afford, which is the most important part, right? Being able to afford the therapist. Um, right. And so you, you have a lot of different things that happens within that three to five years that can really affect, you know, that, that the outcome or the transition of the individual. You know, they, you know, the saying is that, you know, you can see a person, what they was doing the first five years, you can just basically tell how they're going to be the next five years because, it's, you know, it's that pattern of behavior of habitualness. And so, 
you know, you try to get in there and affect that in some kind of way with therapeutic work, and that's what we do at Exonerated Nation is bring the bodies together because we realize and understand as a community that we heal each other because we are happy, right. because we all have been directly impacted. And we realize right. and understand that three to five years, what it takes to get our bearing. And so we want to come together and have those wrap around and wrap around and bond with our, with our brothers and sisters coming home from these, these, these hellish places. You know, we have to understand that wrongful convictions, as I said, is a human rights issue. It's a public yeah. safety concern. It's a human rights issue and a public safety concern because we are yes, ripping innocent individuals from, from society, and then by the grace of the Creator, they are being blessed with their freedom after decades in prison. In prison, you got to understand, yes. it's, you know, it's almost like, you know, imagine, you know, being in Iraq for 10 years and, and it's, it's never calming down. It's always battle and wartime, and that's what prison is. And so you have to understand the psychological effect that that has on an individual that's trapped behind those those barbed wire gates and that brick house, that it does have a bearing effect on the mind. And they set it up to do so. Uh, gray walls, the authoritative um, sort of mind games that they play with you while you're in there, the humiliating things that they do to you, the degrading things that they do to you, the lack of the lack of health care, the lack of quality of food. All of those things, the lack of sunlight, all of those things affect your mental behavior. It affects you mentally. And so, you know, yeah, it, you know, it's just to get back, you know, just to speak to that first three to five years, it's a challenge to get that all of the things back in place or some things in place, identification, job, somewhere to stay. And it, it takes a bleeding way between three to five years. Well, I, I want to say this, and, and that is true. I, I agree with everything you know, that you totally said. As a formerly incarcerated woman, I know <laughs> the prison experiences. You understand what I'm saying? I most definitely know. Um, and so I, I can attest to everything that you're saying is absolutely true. But now, one thing that people think is that, you know, when exonerees, you, you get exonerated and boom, you've got your money and your life is perfect and fine. They <laughs> don't seem, people don't seem to understand that, you know, there's no money when an exoneree is immediately released. So if there's no right. money, they're right. barely making it and surviving. So there would be no money to pay for a therapist. So right. exonerees go sometimes years before they can even afford or if they're in a situation where they can get therapy. You know, some exonerees are blessed to have a spouse that has benefits with their job so they can come out and immediately get it that way. But sometimes that's not the case, though. So, you know, people just don't get it. You know, I, I was talking with um, a lady yesterday, and we were, I was sharing the story that, and when I shared the story, I thought about you and my friend Chris Miller, who is a exoneree out of Ohio. And every time I see an interview of you two talking about your wrongful conviction, your eyes fill up and well up with tears. And that right there, my people, is a sign of the trauma that they have experienced. And that's their way of processing, you know, some of the trauma. And because it is such a traumatic experience. And, you know, your, your lovely wife, Denise, I love her. Yes. I consider her to be a very good friend of mine. Denise, I love yes. you, girl. And, yes. you know, we talk, we talk quite often. And, um, 
you know, Obi, um, I want you to just kind of give a word to the spouses who are listening or significant others to exonerees. Kind of explain to them from an exoneree standpoint, <laughs> you know, what you guys deal with. I want them to hear it from you. So, you know, yes, man, you know, I, you know, I love my wife. She's a tremendous, she's a tremendous excellent woman. You know, she, you know, I've been knowing her since we were kids, but we got involved every three and a half years before my exoneration. And so she came to, she, she used to come to visit me every weekend. Uh, we made calls, letters, all of the time, every day mail, all of this type of, you know, we built the relationship. We were building the relationship. And, you know, during that time there, in that building of the relationship, you know, as in all relationships that are built, there's conversations about desires, about what one wants things to be and so forth. And, you know, um, and so she, you know, she, uh, and, and I came home. When I came home, you know, those things were, you know, my desires of what things, what I wanted things to be was in my mind. And even though we had multiple letters and conversations and all of those things there, uh, it's still the actuality of doing that in that same place together now. It's not, you know, the week doesn't go by and then she gets to see me uh, on that weekend. We're now together 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's, it's, it's that there in itself, again, you heard me talking about earlier around uh, communication, about that dominant communication that happens when one is in prison, whether it's the man or the woman. Uh, now, again, then you heard me talking about that compromising conversations. And so we, you know, here, uh, you know, me and Denise, she, say, she said, I said, uh, as she said, that I'm a hot mess because, we have those times where, you know, I speak about when I first came home. There was a time when I first came home, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to go nowhere without her, right? So she was like, you know, let's go to the, you know, I wanted to go to the store. I came around to the store, um, and I had gotten my driver's license by that point. And she was like, you know, I was telling her to take me to the store because I was uncertain of my surroundings. But right. at the same time of me saying that, I still was trying to tell her to tell me, you know, not to tell me where not to go and what not to do. I told her that, that you know, I don't need another correction officer in my life. You know, let me figure it out. Let me get the business up under me. And so you have this sort of that, you know, the person that wants to be helped, but at the same time wants to figure it out on their own and not feel such guarded or, you know, you know, looked over in a sense having a vibe wow. in prison or any of those things like that. And those things wow. right there can affect the relationship specifically as if one, if the exonerated, exonerated nation, if the exonerated person is feeling that way. Uh, and then that, again, it affects his communication and how he communicates or she communicates that to their partner. And so understanding that, we, you know, for me, you know, I, and, and Denise, I tried to, or we tried to find, you know, a, a, a other healthy communicative ways, in other words, to sort of express those expectations that was not sort of lived up to or, or kind of right. or, or met or any of that. And, right. and, and trying, you know, creative ways to have those challenging conversations without being uh, offended. One of the things I told Denise before I got out, before when we was there, she was coming to see me. I said, Denise, you know, look, man, we're we two adults. You're going to have two different opinions, and they're going to clash sometimes. And just realize and understand that people break up and leave each other in the middle of arguments, even though how much they, they may love each other dearly. Uh, I just told her to never get confused about the two. Let the argument be the argument and let our love be our love. And so over the years, that, I believe, has helped us sustain 
through those things because, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you are, like I tell I'm now, I'm now going on 12 years. It'll be 12 years in, in October. Uh, and it's like I'm well, not me, a kid, me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living now. I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm putting things together. I'm trying to, you know, do everything that everybody else had done the time that I was in the box. And so I'm just now right. living. And, you know, just like a teenager sometimes, when they're 13, 14, 15, they feel like they, they, they got it figured out. But the parent uh, always knows best. If you know, with the wife, you know, she knows best. She, you know, she's been out here living this life, so she can talk about things and let me know about things in a way where it's not like she's trying to tell me what to do and things like that. Right. Sure she can still keep that protective, guardian sort of nurturing, motherly, you know, womanly way that she that she is, uh, and and where no, it doesn't, you know, make me feel me? like. You know, she's trying to be my mother or the correction officer in a sense. So, right. Well, I want to say this. I appreciate that, but we only have a couple of minutes left. So, real quick, let me encourage the exonerees wives and significant other exonerees. You guys, hang in there, hang in there, and don't give up on on that man. Or if you're a man married to a female exoneree, don't give up on that woman. But listen, I want to. I want to take the show out. We've got about two minutes left. I want you to tell how someone can contact your organization because I know that you have an upcoming uh, event coming up in August. So yes. kind of take about a minute to talk about that and give your contact information, and we're yes. going to close out this interview. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, definitely. You guys can find find me in Exonerated Nation online. You can find us at exoneratednation.org. You can also find us on social media, Exonerated Nation on Facebook and on Instagram. We do have a retreat that, that is coming up in August, on August 24th through the 27th, where we'll be looking at and addressing intergenerational trauma, hoping to bring in exonerees and maybe their kids or maybe their siblings or maybe their significant other or partner that has suffered with them through this traumatic experience. Uh, understanding that wrongful convictions is a human rights issue uh, and a public safety concern, we want to be able to help our population, in other words, to transition back and with their significant others and family members Say. in a meaningful and purposeful way. OBN so Latar. At exonerated online and on we are media. out of time, so I'm going to have okay. to get you off. Okay. 420 Drug War News. Today we close out our discussion with Mr. Timothy King of Clergy for a New Drug Policy. Um, connection to the divine, connection to other people, a sense of loving trust. These are all good things, right? This is where from the very moment that we as infants start drinking milk, in milk are small enzymes called opioid peptides that act on the opioid receptors, giving a sense of well-being and to help bond parent to child. And so it's very understandable that people are attracted to these sorts of things because it is one of our first experiences coming into the world is an alteration of our neurochemistry through the ingestion of milk. And I think that's why it's so attractive to us. I think that's a fundamental reality that this is a part of our biological um, constitution. We evolved this way. We evolved constantly having our neurochemistry altered by the things that we ingest, the things we take in, things we think of as food are able to alter these things. So this is a very intimate and close process that we need to make sure that people understand when it can be dangerous, how it can be dangerous, and how to avoid those dangers rather than shaming them for having the desire to do it in the first place.
Uh, we're about to run out of time. Tim, uh, closing thoughts from you, please. Well, Dean, I always like to end on a hopeful note. And what I keep seeing happening across the country are people who don't get rid of their moral convictions. They go deeper into them. And one of the encouraging things is I've worked on a lot of different political issues. And I can tell you that this is one of the issues where I can't tell someone's political affiliation by how they stand on this issue, because there are people coming together from across a lot of divides. I know the Republican conservative evangelical Christina Dent at End It For Good, who's talking about the need to end the drug war. I know the libertarians at Cato are talking about the need to end this drug war. I know there's progressive groups like the Drug Policy Alliance. They're talking about the need to end this drug war. And this is where I think that right now in a time where we are polarized, that ending the drug war, taking care of our communities, being concerned about freedom and human flourishing is something that can unite a lot of different people from political backgrounds because the best of who we are are the people who care for one another and allow each other to pursue happiness in the ways that we understand it because that is the best of our liberal democracy is that we aren't imposing these ideas on other people. And where we can, we can lead through our own example of what that looks like and how we can flourish together as individuals and communities. That was Timothy King, and I am Dean at DrugTruth.net. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. Please tune in for the rest of our 9 a.m. weekday lineup with the Law and Disorder on Tuesday, Alternative Radio on Wednesday, Cowtown Conversations on Thursday, and Between the Lines at 9 a.m.